Well, let's go to our Bibles. If you have your, your Bibles with you, let's go to the book of James, chapter 1, verse number 2 to verse number 4. This is the week leading up to Easter. It is Palm Sunday. And uh, uh, we, we've also been having our, our, our five-minute devotions every morning, uh, different ones that have been sharing uh, on the road to the cross, all the events and some teachings leading up to the cross uh, in the story, in the chron chronology of of the time of Passover and the time of Christ. But this morning, as you have your Bibles with you, why don't you stand in honor of the Word of God wherever you are. James chapter 1, verse number 2 to verse number 4. The Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Amen. For some people, what we're going through today in our world may be considered a trial. Really, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> For some, it is, of course. But one thing is for sure, we will all go through problems and through pain. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, Jesus has a lot to say about it. And we're going to be looking into the seven statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. And I want to talk to you about processing your pain. Processing your pain. Let us pray once again. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we feel in this house already. Thank you for your presence, Lord, for your spirit, Lord God, that is ever faithful, despite whether the house is full or empty, let, yet you were here where two or three are gathered together in your name. You said you were there in the midst of them. And I pray, Lord God, even now that you would speak to our hearts. Go to everyone, Lord Jesus, that has joined this service remotely, Lord, from their homes, uh, from their rooms, wherever they are. I pray, Lord, that you would go to them and touch them and let your Holy Spirit begin to flow again with power, with wonder, with glory, Lord God, we ask. So have your way in this place as we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you for joining with us. Amen. And uh, we trust everybody's doing well at this time. Everybody has a unique problem. We all do. It's called life. And life is always presented with problems, with struggles, and with pain. And somebody said, everyone here is either going into a problem, or is in the middle of the problem, or coming out of a problem. Either way, we are all being touched in some way or another with problems. All of us are in this strange circumstance that we find ourselves in. And again, I don't want to diminish uh, the, the problem that is happening with certain people who have died of this disease. And I think we've heard so much about it. It's coming out of our ears and it's affecting our everyday life. And so I'm not going to belabor this for much. But I do want you to, to get some perspective in history over the last hundred years with what we are going through is really 
not much at all. When you consider uh, many uh, decades ago in the 40s when uh, the citizens of London were going into uh, the underground to shelter from the bombing of the Nazi planes, or none of us here perhaps uh, that are listening to this have ever experienced where you have been branded a second-class citizen or even considered an animal that you would get thrown into concentration camp. I certainly have not, but we as students of history can understand that this has been a reality for many people. Uh, but one thing is for sure, that life is filled with problems and pain. And the Bible tells us to give and to look at this situation of problems and trials with a different perspective. James, the writer, tells us that we should count it all joy when we are going through trials, that we are to rejoice virtually, that we are to be happy, we are to consider it a joyful thing when we go through problems, when we go through trials. That is so uh, counterintuitive to what we know in the world. That is so against the grain of what we understand because every time we go through pain, every time we have problems and trials, it hurts and we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's not uh, palatable. We don't enjoy it. And yet that's exactly what the Word of God commands us to do. Amen. This is a strange thing. This is a weird thing. This is a difficult thing that we should count it all joy, but that's exactly what God wants us to do. Amen. To count it as joy, to see it, because the Bible tells us, he goes on further to say to us that, that we learn something from these trials, that we, we become perfected or we become mature. We become complete. It, it completes us. It makes us whole. Amen. And, and this is exactly what testing and trial is designed to do. And so you've got to learn that through your pain, you can learn something. That we don't just go through our trials, but we grow through our trials. Amen. Every storm, somebody said, is a school. Every trial is a teacher. Every experience is an education. Every difficulty is for your development. Amen. Most of us are slow learners. And if you don't learn something, God will always bring it up again in your life. It will come back because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And so problems are unavoidable. They are unexpected. They come in all shapes and sizes. But I want you to understand today that they have a purpose. They are designed to make us. They are designed to test us. Amen. That when the, uh, the metal is going through the fire, it, it's going through the heating process and it's being hammered. You ask any blacksmith and it will be hammered. And, and sometimes that metal, it gets folded over and over. And this folding process, it goes through the heat and through the hammering and through the heat. But at the end of that process, that metal is strongest as it could ever be. And I want you to understand here today that whatever your trials, whatever your problems, it is ordained of God. It is accepted. It is part of life. And so you might as well come to accept that it's going to be with you, that's going to be a part of your existence. You might as well come to the understanding and acceptance that it will be a part of your life. Amen. But because it's a part of your life and you endure it, 
and you don't throw in the towel, but instead you take up and you embrace the same biblical understanding and revelation to count it all joy. Amen. That at the end of it, praise God, you will be strong. At the end of it, you will be perfect. You will be mature. You will be whole to the glory of God. Amen. And so I want you to embrace and take a look at it with a different set of eyes, a new paradigm, a paradigm shift to see your pain and your problems not designed to destroy you, not designed to tear you down, but it is designed to lift you up, amen, to make you stronger than you were. Praise God. And so whatever pain you're going through, whatever trial you are going through, do not waste your pain. Don't waste the problems. Don't waste the trials. Amen. So often people don't profit from the problems. They don't harvest from their hurt. They don't advance from the adversity and they don't learn from their losses. They don't gain from their pain. Oh yes, come on somebody. You've got to learn to gain from your pain. Without pain, there's no gain. Praise God. But remember that when there's pain in your life, something's getting built up. And if God hasn't given up on you, it means that God has a greater purpose for you. If he's given you the biggest trials, you're thinking, well, how come my brother, my neighbor doesn't have the problems like I am having? How come my sister's not going through what I'm going through? I'm going through the hardest trials. Can I tell you, maybe you're going through more pain than anybody else. It's because God has something bigger for you. God has something stronger lined up in your life. Amen. Amen. That's good preaching right there. Are you hearing what I'm saying out there in cyberland? Or out there that are watching me on, online? Amen. Whatever you're going through, it's because God has a purpose for you to get stronger because he's got something bigger ahead of you, in front of you, in your future. And so if you are going through the battle of your life, remember that it is God's voted confidence for you, that he has his hand upon you, and he has faith in you. He believes that you can withstand it. He believes that you can handle it, that you are able, and he's got something greater in store for you. Amen. Amen. Remember how the anointing oil is produced. They take the herbs and the spices, and with the oil mixing it together, they crush the herbs and the spices together, and then the oil comes and mixes in with it. Can I tell you, sometimes there's going to be a crushing in your life. There's going to be a breaking down. Don't resist. Don't fight, but learn to harvest. Amen. The hurt. Learn to use the pain for the gain of God's glory in your life. If there is one thing I can assure you, if there's one thing that I can tell you and guarantee in your life is that you will have pain. In fact, I'm convinced that as you become a born-again believer, the day that you decide to follow Jesus, I'm convinced that more pain is added into your life. Amen. Because he wants to show you that when the pain comes, that there's a release of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
there's a release of power. He's trying to teach us that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He's trying to teach us not to rely on our own ability, rely on our own strength, our own wit, and our own wisdom, but he wants us to rely on him, that he is the source of my life, that he is the strength of my heart, that he in him we live and move and have our very being. Oh, thank God that whatever problem we go through, that God is there to strengthen and empower us. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. Glory to God. And I believe today as we look towards Sunday, as it were, I love this time of year as we begin to see the chronology of the steps of, of the path to Passover or the road to the cross or, or some on the liturgical calendar would consider as Holy Week uh, that we see uh, what Jesus had to endure. Amen. I, I know this is perhaps one of the most difficult issues. And again, I'm revisiting what I ministered about last week uh, about what when, when bad things happen to good people, that, that the rain will fall on the just and the unjust, that, that these things that do happen, that the good people will die young, and some good people, believers, Christians, will die of this coronavirus, amen? But uh, can I tell you that God doesn't put it upon us, but sometimes bad things will happen to good people because there's a randomness in our world when it comes to this physical world, but there is no randomness when it comes to God's calling upon our lives, God's election upon the church. He calls us. And, and we don't always have sufficient words. We don't always have an adequate explanation as to why bad things happen, as to why sometimes children die of diseases and, and, and earthquakes and pestilences happen in this world and, and, and innocent people seemingly do die. And there is not enough. And we can always explain, of course, that God's desire and ultimate plan is to get people to heaven in eternity. That, that even if it means sometimes that we will die early here on earth, as long as we get to spend eternity with Him. That's really ultimately what matters the most. But there is one thing I can give to you here today. That I, I can give to you a, a consolation, if you will, for the pain that we endure. Is that Jesus Christ Himself came to this world. God became flesh, dwelt among us, did not live a life of luxury, of opulence, did not live a life of... Of, of, of elegance and, and, and overflowing of things, but he lived a life that was difficult, obscure, and ultimately a life that was cut short in his early 30s, and a life where he was arrested, he was brought before a, a kangaroo court on trumped-up charges, was found guilty of something that was, that was, not, not, was not right, yet it was true that he was God. And yet he was beaten he was abused he was hurt and ultimately he was nailed to a cross and on that cross jesus sp spoke seven statements that i want to look at here today very quickly seven statements of jesus upon the cross that will help us to teach us how to deal with this pain that i'm talking about firstly his first statement was very simply, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they do. And here is how we process pain. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first thing we've got to do is in our pain is to ensure that we forgive others. Even in the midst of his pain and betrayal and the rejection and the agony that we can barely imagine what that would have been like after being whipped with a cat of nine tails and, and having his nails and his feet uh, nailed to a cross. Yet his words were to forgive, particularly his detractors and those that killed him, his murderers. I want you to understand here today that, that, that we, in our hurt, it, it's, it's hurting people that hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And there is a tendency, there is a temptation so often that in our hurt, that we want to hurt others. But I want you to understand that if even in the midst of our pain, that if we can learn to release and relinquish and forgive those who have hurt us, forgive those who have wronged us, forgive those who are good. This is exactly what Jesus did. And it will help you to release the pain. In fact, if you continue to hold into this unforgiveness, it will continue to be a a poison, somebody said. It's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to get hurt. No, the other person is not going to get hurt because of your unforgiveness. It's, it's we ourselves who refuse to relinquish. Let me remind you of the power of forgiveness. Let me remind you of the power of not holding on to that resentment, of not holding on to that hurt, of not holding on to that offense, but relinquishing it. That's, that's what Peter said to Jesus when he asked him, how many times must I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times, he said. He thought he was being generous, you know. Shall I give him seven, forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, you, you haven't even scratched the surface. He said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Amen. And I know, well, you know, that's, that's well and good that we can forgive. But C.S. Lewis said maybe perhaps what, what he was referring to was forgiving the same person, not forgiving uh, 70 times seven amount of people, but the same person 490 times that you would forgive that same person of that same offense of that same sin of that same hurt amen because how many times have we ever felt it when somebody's hurt us that we forgave them one time and then that that same hurt or that same kind of resentment comes back into our hearts and we feel like we've got to forgive them all over again praise god but 70 times seven even for the same offense, we have to learn to forgive those that have hurt us. Amen. Uh, there is, again, a beautiful story of a young man by the name of Joseph. That despite the hurt, the betrayal, the treachery that he had endured, yet no matter how bad his circumstance got, regardless of what it was on the outside, whether it was a position of a slave or you were imprisoned for something you didn't do in a, in a dirty dungeon. Yet somehow he did not allow that resentment, that hurt of betrayal and treachery to poison his spirit. How, how do I know that? Because we see it in the way that he behaved himself. We see it in how he was able to still manage the house of Potiphar and how he was able to do so well even as a prisoner that, that, that he even had the key to the prison. He could have walked out if he wanted to. We see this also when he was re reunited with his brothers 
The same brothers, yes. The same treacherous and no good brothers that sold him into slavery. That he had the power of life and death over them. And yet he would not enact his own authority to exact vengeance. But instead he gave to them. He blessed them. And he was able, the Bible tells us this beautiful scene of where he cried out that his cry and his weeping was so loud that all of Egypt heard the cry of this man that by then he was now the second most powerful man in all of the world. And he was this, this release of, of hurt perhaps that, that he had been processing over and over. Now was finally, when he was finally reconciled to his brothers, he was able to release that hurt and that pain. Can I talk to you, somebody here today, that when you release that, that, that unforgiveness, it's too heavy of a burden to bear. It's too heavy of a weight to carry in your spirit. It will poison you. Amen. That's why it's removed every brightness in your life. It's removed the joy from your heart. Uh, there's only dark clouds. There's only, there's only the shadows that you continue to feel in your heart. But the moment that you release it, why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. And when Jesus said those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's as if that you and I are in the same crowd that are chanting to crucify him. And he is now crying and speaking and saying a prayer of forgiveness for us who have sinned against God. The same sin that brought Jesus to the cross, he has given to us forgiveness. And what right have we to hold unforgiveness to anybody? Amen. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand what they said to me. You don't know the pain that they inflicted on me. I was just a child. I had no power of my own. I had no ability to defend myself. And I understand that I am not diminishing or belittling the abuse and the pain that you have undergone. But I want you to know that in the word of God and through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we have the ability to forgive. Yes, even those that victimized us, even those that hurt us, uh, that, is, that is unbelievable, there is still the ability to forgive that person. And I urge you, I submit to you today that when you do, there is a release that's going to come upon your life. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Forgive them. Amen. Number two, assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is a, a, one of those heart-wrenching moments when the two malefactors, the Bible calls them thieves, and I don't know if they were just thieves because they didn't crucify people just for stealing. It was probably for something more serious, but the Bible calls them thieves. And, and one was, was, was having to go with Jesus, but the other said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When he told the other malefactor, when he told them, you know, we, we deserve to be on this cross, but this man, Jesus, he's hanging here on this cross and he did nothing to deserve it. And then he turned to Christ and said to him, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And those words that Jesus spoke in Luke 23 and 43 said to him, assuredly, assuredly, for sure, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Even in that state, even in his pain and agony, Jesus spoke words of comfort and forgiveness and salvation.
And, and here's what we can learn from that statement. That, that we don't have to wait until we are always in a perfect situation before we can minister to others. The illusion and the lies that, that all must be perfect in life before we can serve others, before we can evangelize, before we can give, before we can see God's goodness in our lives. We, we always put this, this kind of criteria before God can bless us, before we can do something for God. You know, we say, well, well once I, I get everything right, I've got my job, then I'll, I'll give to the Lord, then I'll serve Him. Well, once I've got this part of my life sorted out, then I'll come to church and I'll be faithful to the house of God. Well, you know, we're always waiting for the ideal circumstance and the ideal situation before we can serve the Lord. But can I tell you uh, that, there, you know, there's a word that people often use, you know, someday I'll, I'll serve God. And if you're listening to this, perhaps you've drifted away, perhaps you've been drawn away uh, from God for some years and, and you've stumbled across this live stream. I believe God's put, put us here to speak to you, to let you know you don't always have to wait for that someday because someday never arrives. It never comes. There's never a someday. That's the lie of the devil. That, that's just a procrastination that the, the devil would try to put in the hearts of people. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. You don't have to wait for some other ideal time for it to come before you give your life. But right now, the Bible says, now is the time. Amen. For you to make up your mind, for you to serve the Lord, and you can do it today. Amen. You don't have to wait, well, well I'll just sort my problems out first, then I'll come to God. I'll just do that. You know, that's kind of what I felt when I, when I was a young man and, and I kind of backslid and, and, and I wanted to, you know, before I come back to God, I said, well, you know, I'll come back to church one day. I just got to get my life sorted out. I just got to find myself a good job, find myself a, drive a nice car and, and have my career path sorted out, you know, and I pray that, you know, I'll just have a girlfriend and all those things will just, and then I'll come to church when everything is good and I'll come walking into church and everybody could see what a success I am. Uh, that, that is so wrong. And I found myself coming back to the house of God because I was losing my mind from all the drugs I had done. I was doing drugs every day. And I thought, man, I came coming back to the house of God with my tail between my, my legs and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your assistance. I can't do this. I can't make it. Can I tell you, don't wait till everything's right, but, let, but come to God right now and he will help you to get Get things right. He will empower you and give you wisdom, give you his goodness and his blessings so that you can sort those problems out, not by yourself, but he has promised to help us. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. What more do we need than the King of glory, the God of all creation, who is able to help us? Amen. And so uh, even in your pain, you say, well, I, I, I'm going through problems right now. I can't help anybody. But even in your pain, minister and give. Give out to those that are in need. Praise God. Procrastination is assassination. Amen. You've got to do it now. Today. The third thing Jesus said, he said, woman, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. He wasn't being disrespectful to his earthly mother, Mary. But, but listen to what he does. He knows he's about to leave, he's about to depart. But he tells, 
he tells his mother, this is your son, and turning to John. And John telling him to say, this is now your mother. That even in his pain, he was able to minister to his family. Let me remind you, in, in your pain, don't withdraw from family and friends. Family and friends are worth investing, even in the times of your pain. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Amen. If there's anything that we can learn from this, from our, 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 our social restrictions that we have, that the government has imposed upon us, that's not, not just in this country, much worse in other places in the world, is that we can have time together as a family, the household. Uh, statistics show the social influence is you have a social influence of an average of about 12 to 17 at the most that you have influence with people between 12 to 17 people and that's an hour or more a week spent with a person is considered in your sphere of influence an hour or more a week spent with a person is what would be considered your sphere of influence now Taking that into consideration, most fathers, dads, spend an average of seven minutes a day with their kids. Seven minutes a day. So if you do, do the math seven times seven days a week, in a week, that's only 49 minutes. Which means the average dad don't spend that much time with their kids. Their kids is not in their sphere of influence. Just a thought, I think. Amen? That's something for us to consider. That in our pain, don't withdraw from our family and friends, but invest in them. Pour out your life into them. Give to them. Spend time. Let that be your first sphere of influence. Amen? And as I said, you don't have to spend lots and lots of money. And like, like with the restrictions that we have today, we, we can't spend lots of money going out, doing stuff. But, but spend time at home with the kids, even if it's just sitting down, reading a book with them, or just being in their presence, be a sphere of influence over their lives. The fourth thing Jesus said, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is taken from Mark chapter 15, verse 34, where he said, he cried out in his, uh, in Aramaic, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in his humanity with the weight of sin upon his shoulders and the pain of the torture of the cross, he felt this overwhelming sense of alienation and forsakenness. And, and sometimes when we are under duress and are enduring, having to endure pain, that we feel the sense of forsakenness. We feel the sense of, of God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? How come you're not helping me with this? How come you're not? And every time you go through pain, we, it, it's, it's more difficult to, to assess or, or to feel the presence of God. Every time we have trials and problems, it seems like God is a million miles away and is not interested in us. Well, I submit to you that in your pain, you've got to make up in your mind. You've got to already establish in your heart and know that God has not forsaken you. That it's simply the pain. It's simply the things that we are undergoing that makes us feel that way. But remember that God is always with us. 
Praise God. You've got to process pain the way that Joseph did. That when his brothers thought that they had done evil to him, he said, don't do yourselves any harm. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Amen. Can I tell you once again, if you are undergoing pain, if you're going through the problems of life, amen, you've got to make it up in your mind to understand that it's not that God has abandoned you, but what God, what has been meant for evil, God will turn it around for good. Praise God. He will use it for your benefit. He will use it for your, your, your growth, for your wholeness, so that you can mature. Praise God. Amen. We usually get stuck in that, that place, that last place, where the process, where the unprocessed pain is often found. But remember that God is always there with us. He has not forsaken us. He has not abandoned us. He hasn't lost your address. He has not taken his eye off of you. You've got to remind yourself that that's why you've got to get into his word and let his promises saturate your spirit. Let it, let it become ingrained in every fiber of your soul that God promised. Amen. Even in the midst of the darkest of times where we could cry out and know that God's word says to us that we are his beloved, that we are in the hollow of his hand. In fact, the Bible says he has engraved our name name upon his hand. I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of painful. Uh, he engraves, he takes a knife and cuts your name in his hand. That whenever he handles something, there it is. It's reminding him that your name is upon his hand. Let me tell you, he has already said that you are the apple of his eye. And every time the devil would try to touch you and hurt you, it's like him trying to put his finger in the eye of God. It's not going to happen, folks. It's not, he's not going to relinquish his hold upon you. He's not going to let you go. But he's going to hold to you. And you've got to get that in your spirit. You've got to get that in your heart. Amen. That he has not forsaken us. That even in our darkest times, he is there with us holding our hand. Even when I can't feel it, like that song says. Even when I can't see it, God is working behind the scenes. He's working and doing stuff that you can never do for yourself. And so in that greatest of pain and moments, even though I hate it, you know, I, 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 when, I'm, when I'm sick or when I'm in, in pain, I'm thinking, God, why is this happening to me? I've got to remind myself that he, he hasn't abandoned me. He's right there. That even the worst case scenario, pain of death, where Jesus was, where Jesus hung, Yet, he says, he's there to lead us into our reward. Praise the name of the Lord. Number five, the fifth thing Jesus said, he said, I thirst. John 19 and 28, the story goes, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So whether Jesus said this, the shortest of the seven statements, two words, because he simply wanted to fulfill scripture that we find in Psalm 69 and, 29 and 21, where it says that for my thirst, they gave me drink, vinegar to drink, or that he was actually, he was actually just fulfilling that, or that he was actually thirsty, most likely both with the pain of the torture that he was enduring, he was thirsty. 
Psalms 40 tells us that as the heart pants after the water brook, so my soul thirsteth after thee. Praise God. In our pain, something's got to get a hold of us that we thirst for the right things. There is this unquenchable desire to know more of God. The psalmist said in Psalms 40, as the heart or as the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul pants after thee, O God. My, my soul, my mind, my heart is, is thirsty for you. I, I know I'm going through pain. I, I know I know there's a lot of things that I can preoccupy myself so that I can try to numb the pain. I know there's a lot of things that I can indulge myself in so that I can somehow uh, just block out the pain by, by doing other stuff, by, by going into recreation or entertainment or, God forbid, into alcohol and drugs that you should ever do that. I, I know there are things, but, but listen to me. If you are under pain and going through the trials of your life, Use it as a way uh, to bring a thirst, a spiritual thirsting for the Spirit of God, to know Him, to want to know Him. I, I don't just want to go to church and thank God for church. I, I don't want to just, just go through the motions, but, but I want to know Him more in my quiet times, in my private times. I'm thirsty for you, God. I thank God for all of the things that I've experienced over the years of knowing God, of having been walking with Him, but I am still thirsty for more. I, my spirit is not, is not quenched. My spirit has not been satiated, but I am still thirsty for more of the living waters of God Almighty Himself. You've got to understand once there's a desire in your spirit, amen, to change. And, and the pain of change is greater than the pain of not changing, amen, then you will make the effort to try and bring change upon your life, amen. When we change because of the pain that is so much greater than just staying where we are, then you will experience going to the next level that God is calling you to. I thirst. Well, there's so much more that I could say about this, but I've got to hurry. Number six, where the penultimate statement that Jesus made, very simply, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is found in John chapter 19 and verse 30. Notice that Jesus didn't say, it is over. He said, it is finished. In other words, he just simply finished what he had to do. He finished the work that he had, to, he had come on this earth to accomplish, and that is to take the sins of the world and to pay and give his life as a penalty for those sins. But it's not over. We understand this because three days later we know that he rose from the dead. And, and here's how this applies to our lives. Maybe you're feeling stuck right now. You're like in a book in the middle of a chapter and that chapter is called divorce or that chapter is called loss or it's 
mistake or that chapter is, is a failure or that chapter is, is you messed up and you did something really wrong. Let me tell you, it's just a chapter in the book. It's not over. It's not the end. There's, there's still something going on. You've got to just simply keep turning the pages of life in your life because there's still another chapter to your life. Amen. This one thing that you're going through right now, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to stop you from where you're at, but you just keep putting one foot in front of the other because it is not over. It may be finished right now, the chapter that you're in, but let me remind you that you will be going into a new season. You will be going into a new chapter. You just keep putting your faith and trust in God. This story is not over while I've still got breath in me, while I've still got a life, while I can still get up every morning. Praise God. This is just a chapter. What we're experiencing in the world today and in the church where we can't gather together, folks, let me remind you, it's not over. This is just, just a chapter that we have in God. And I can't wait for the day. It won't be very long when we'll be gathering back together. Maybe they'll lift the restrictions to 100 and then soon eventually sometime this year when we gather again oh boy what a rejoicing that's gonna be how glorious that will be so I've come to encourage somebody keep moving keep walking keep turning the pages because it's just a chapter praise God remember that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith amen and remember that Jesus never writes bad stories he never writes bad novels. He is the bestseller. Amen. And the story of your life is still being written. But don't circumnavigate. Don't, don't sell yourself short by giving up and giving in, thinking it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's not going to help. It's no use. But you keep putting your faith in God. You keep putting your trust in Him and turning the pages of life. There's another day coming. There's another week coming. Amen. There's a Sunday that's coming ahead of us. Oh, I wish I had some help in here this morning. Praise God. Thank you. All nine of you. Praise God. Amen. I was reading of a, a story of Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry was 28 years old, living in his car with a playwright. That's all he had, a playwright. It was literally just a chapter in his life, just a playwright. And most would look at the man and write him off because you, you look at that and you just see that one chapter in his life where he was living out of his car. And now he's become a successful uh, uh, producer, director, made many uh, movies and, and, and plays, and is very, very wealthy. But if you just stop at that chapter, that's all you would see is somebody living out of their car. Whatever it is you're going through, it's just a chapter. Amen. You keep putting your best. You keep doing your best. You keep waking up every morning with a smile on your face. With, with, a, with the light of God beaming out of your heart, knowing that God is still with you, knowing that it's not over, that it's just a chapter. It's not finished yet. It's finishing in this chapter. But there's a new chapter that's beginning. Praise God. Finally, musicians, if you'd like to come. The seventh thing that Jesus said. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, having said this, he breathed his last breath.
Praise God. Hallelujah. Those wonderful words of Jesus' prayer. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Praise God. You've got to ensure that your spirit, you don't allow anything to, to, to ruin your heart, your spirit. But let your spirit be given over to God. In other words, let it be filled with God's Spirit. Because whatever is in you will come out in, in the wash. So you've got to make sure that your spirit is clean, it is pure, it, it is... Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs 18 and 14. It says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But if your spirit is wounded, it's, it's broken. It's, it's unbearable. Hallelujah. Don't let your spirit become wounded with, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, with resentment. Don't let the wound remain. And I, we will get hurt. We will feel pain. But I refuse to allow anything to, to contaminate my spirit. I refuse to allow bitterness or jealousy or envy or pride or arrogance to remain in my spirit. But, but like Jesus said, Lord, I give you my spirit. Let it be surrendered into your hands. Hallelujah. Proverbs 18 and 8 says the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the inmost parts. Be careful with your words. Be careful of the words that you speak because it could kill somebody's spirit. Be careful of the words that you hear from other people. And you let it get down in your soul, it will poison you. Proverbs 20 27, the Bible says the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. This is the lamp of God. Hallelujah. No matter what's going on on the outside, you've got to protect this from keeping you from getting there to where God wants us to be. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Finally, you know the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. As he preached... The word of God to them, they were so angry and they were so vengeful, so triggered that they took stones and began to stone Stephen. And again, this is similar to the words of Christ. Stephen prayed. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. While, while the stones were, were coming at him, flying and, and breaking his bones, crushing his skull, wounding his flesh, hurting him, yet whatever was happening on the outside of the, with his flesh, he refused to let his spirit become embittered with hurt, with arrogance, with unforgiveness. But he said, forgive. I give my spirit to you. Receive my spirit. 
Hallelujah. Whatever it is that we've got to experience on the outside, it's nothing in comparison to the importance of what's on the inside. He said this, this sin, this trouble, this pain that we're going through, it is but a light affliction in comparison to the weight of glory that awaits us. Oh, hallelujah. This is how we process pain. Through the words of our Savior and our Lord. Would you lift your hands wherever you are? In your houses, if you are together with your family, would you lay your hands upon their shoulder? It's appropriate. Wherever you are in your household, wouldn't you link hands right now? And we're going to pray. Hallelujah. We've got the victory. We have won the victor's crown because Jesus has already resurrected from the dead and he has given us life and life more abundantly. So right now I want us to pray together in the name of Jesus. Father, we're asking you today. Lord God, as we look to you, we don't, Lord God, turn away from the cross, but we look at you as you are on that cross as it were speaking those words of comfort even in the midst of excruciating pain a pain that is beyond what many of us in fact most of us would ever comprehend but yet Lord God you taught us how to love you taught us how to forgive you taught us Lord how to trust you taught us how to find our safety and security in you you taught us to give and to share and to love you taught us to consider one another in love. You taught us, Lord, how to look at what we're going through through the eyes of eternity and that we are not forsaken, but that, Lord, you are ever near us as our good shepherd, as our companion, as our friend that sticks closer than any brother. And so right now we pray for one another. I pray for my brothers and my sisters right now that, God, your Holy Spirit would come to them that you would lift them through that circumstance, that you would give them the strength through the trials, that they would count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, into various trials that are presented to us in life, that we would know that it will produce patience in us. So I pray for patience in every mother, in every father, in every child, in every home, Lord God, let there be patience that will produce it's perfect work. Dear God, I pray for your anointing, your spirit to fill. If anybody's watching this that hasn't received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I pray that you would grant them your gift. I pray that you would grant them your Holy Spirit to fill them, to saturate their hearts, that they may be born again of the water and of the spirit. I pray right now that you would fill us, that your Holy Spirit would come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. As the singers and musicians will begin to sing and play, wherever you are, why don't you continue to talk to the Lord? I want to ask you to continue to pray and seek Him. And let your voices ring out. Call out to the Lord right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory. Oh, hallelujah. That's it. Continue to pray for one another. Lift up your voices right now. 
let this be an altar in your home. Let there be an altar in your lounge room. Let there be an altar wherever you are, in the car, wherever you're watching this. The Spirit of God is flowing right now in Jesus' name. Glory to God. The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. Oh 